It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the, the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with Brett Ruff. Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The greatest, most interesting, most important person of all time. You are incredible! Listen to me, I'm older and I'm wise. Yeah, well, you're half right. What is this, amateur This is going to be huge. I believe this is going to be our finest hour. Just when I think you've said the stupidest thing ever, you keep talking. I think that's the worst thing I've ever heard. That boy ain't right. The simplest way to put it, I have problems. Welcome to the alleged show. Taking you home on a Thursday afternoon, it's time for the Sports Rush, your daily sports fix from 4 to 6 here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. With Adam Lundy, I am the coach, Shannon Griffith, and for Brett Rump, who is once again on the road with the Macedons, headed to Cleveland State for their big matchup tomorrow night in Cleveland. They uh getting a big win last night, though, against IUPUI. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But uh, jam-packed show for you today. Uh, at 420, we're going to have Justin Cohn come on from the Journal-Gazette, the beat writer for the Fort Wayne Comments, and his new podcast, On the E, covering everything in the ECHL. Uh, he'll join us to talk a little bit about the Comets' big three-game road trip out to Iowa to play the Heartlanders this week, as well as how the season is shaping up now that we're well beyond the all-star break and the Christmas break as teams start to settle in into the standings and where everything else is set and eyeing towards the playoffs. We'll talk a little bit about that. Then Scott Agnes from the Fieldhouse Files will come on and we'll talk a little bit of the Pacers, who had a big win the other night against the Bulls, uh, which uh, made the Chicago media a little bit upset i had a chance to watch uh that game via the bulls network uh sports network and after the game they were pretty upset mainly will purdue he had a few choice words to to say about the bulls losing to the pacers which i kind of laughed when uh they kind of put the blame on uh the bulls effort basically in the second half but we'll talk a little bit about that as well and then we'll move our way into the second hour, and we'll let you wait on that. But I guess, I, Adam, I guess I really need to clear up some things here. Some breaking news just for you. Ooh. Oh, let's let's get into it. And uh, I don't know if you saw this morning, Brett Rump uh, kind of asked, why haven't the Colts interviewed me yet for the big head coaching assignment down in Indianapolis? Uh, labeled myself as a dark horse as this started out about three and a half weeks ago. But I can officially say that I have withdrawn my name from consideration to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Wow. That's a shame. They're missing out, Shane. Well, you know, I just can't continue on this roller coaster ride. I mean, 14 interviews, now cutting down to seven. I mean, I mean, how many guys do you need to interview for a head coaching job now these days? I mean, my goodness, these guys in these NFL teams uh, are just uh, overboard in these interviews with the different list and 
this guy and that guy. You think if you're going to make a head coaching change, which the Colts made very uh, mid-year, I guess you could call it, that they would have probably wheedled down <laughs> their list before they got to the actual hiring phase. And I know that some guys uh, are withdrawn as well just because of where they're at in the postseason. And some of the time frames were just not conducive for them to be involved in it. But we're going to settle all speculation that, you know, I'm out. Um, you know, I'm still a free agent, as you could say. Um, but we'll let them go on and search. And I found it interesting. Two things I found interesting this week on this whole coaching, uh, head coaching search for the Colts. Uh, number one, you know, they're going to do a round of second interviews, seven of them, I believe. And the majority of it is a defensive flavor to it, which kind of goes against a lot of what people were saying uh, if Jeff Saturday was not going to be the person that they would go after. Most speculation was they may go after a young offensive coordinator, uh, you know, that's out there and available uh, in the NFL. But right now, the... Second round has a more defensive flavor to it. It's on the paper today that Jim Ursay Ursay is all on board with hiring Jeff Saturday as his head coach. But as Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my friend, because within the Colts circle, not everyone is on board with that hire. So there's a little bit of <laughs> confusion and chaos within this search. And it could it could get a little bit crazy because if the owner right now in his mind wants to hire Jeff Saturday, and I and I think we've had people on this airway talk about he is Ursay's guy. It's Jeff Saturday, and he was going to be the head coach. Then I can't imagine if Jim Ursay goes out of his way to hire Saturday over another recommendation from his committee, which is Chris Ballard and some other people, how does Chris Ballard stay around? I mean, I just don't understand how he can remain the GM when the owner ultimately is making a play for the head coach that you're not on board with. Um, I think he kind of serves as just like the uh, the figurehead, I would say. that That's what I, I would call him. He he He's there for Jim Ursay to say he has a GM for the mm-hmm. team and, and still be able to well, make the right. decisions. And he's a fall guy. And if he's willing to be a fall guy and take the money to be the fall guy for Jim Ursay, then yeah. God, God oh, bless yes. you, man. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's I know he makes probably a good, comfortable li- living being the GM. But the other thing was is that, you know, Jeff Saturday has been quoted as saying that he wants to bring in his own staff uh, to the fray. And if I'm looking at it through the eyes of Jim Ursay, I think he views Jeff Saturday as just being the CEO of the, of the coaching staff. Go out and learn some time management skills as it pertains to clock management in games, right? And then him and Ballard would probably look to hire the rest of the staff or keep some of the guys that are on the staff right now. Uh, but I can't imagine Ballard and Ursay saying to whoever that, you know, if it's Jeff Saturday is the head football coach at, at Indianapolis Colts, 
hey, you're going to go hire your own guys because that's not really how it works in the NFL nowadays. Now, they may get a couple guys, but usually like the coordinator spots are pretty well dictated by management, not the head coach. Now, the head coach probably has some say in it, but not as much as one would might have to say, want to have a say in it. So that merry-go-round continues. We will keep abreast of it, I'm sure. And just like the season, each and every week, we'll keep you updated for the latest breaking news that may come across the wires. And I know that you're going to fill us in a little bit later on some of the NFL news that have come out across the hours with he, uh, here later in the day. But, you know, the other thing, I don't know if you f- have followed this, but, you know, Ben Boudreaux's father, Bruce Boudreaux, who has been in the NHL as a head hockey, head hockey coach with Washington, Anaheim, the Minnesota Wild, and then most recently with the Vancouver Canucks, was, I guess you could say, treated very poorly in Vancouver and how they handled his dismissal that came down on Sunday. And as you know, I have a tendency to follow the NHL, as I do the uh, ECHO hockey. And it just, as a former coach, to learn and to hear the president of the company, Jim Rutherford, many through the latter part of this last few months, outwardly talking that he's out getting feelers on potential head coaches although he's not ready to make a change yet, but he's publicly announcing it is not the way to handle your business when you've got a guy behind the bench and you just undermined him to all the players. So that was uh, quite uh, a spectacle um, that was done to uh, Bruce Boudreaux and, you know, his time with the comments, he's well known here in Fort Wayne player, assistant coach, head coach at some time, and then moving on into the American Hockey League for a while with Hershey and then, of course, his first NHL job with the Washington Capitals back in the day. But I do have a trivia, and we can use Parkview Medicine Sports text line 46862 for this one. Who was the goalie that Bruce Boudreaux scored his first NHL goal against? The goalie... That was in that when Bruce Boudreaux scored his first NHL goal. 46862 text line on that. Give you give you an answer to. Now don't go out and research it because I know that's how you know people end up you know doing that. But mm-hmm. it's kind of ironic, I guess you could say. So I'll, there's one hint for you. But first, who was the first goal? Who was the goalie that Bruce Boudreaux scored his first NHL? goal against but so that one uh just not a very good look by vancouver and their management there and the hiring of that and boy a very emotional uh goodbye the night before last game the fans chanting uh bruce there it is and and then him waving to the fans after a a tough loss again and the players and then seeing him in the Prescott's conference where he got kind of emotional. And you don't see that much out of Bruce Boudreaux. Um, But uh, just a very sad thing to see happen to such a good guy that many people in the NHL and the hockey world have a tremendous amount of respect for. Just a tragic situation there in Vancouver. 
as they had hired the guy off the TNT hockey set, Rick Tockett, to take over. Um, it's just a bad bad look on Vancouver's part. Yeah, we've already uh, already got a couple answers here on the text line. We won't give it away yet. Don't give it away yet. But uh, yeah, we got a couple. Keep if you think you know it. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll give you a first. Shot. Who was the goalie for Bruce Bruce Boudreaux's first career NHL goal? Well, in four six eight six two, you can text that into us as we proceed on here. Like we said earlier, uh, Purdue Fort Wayne big win last night over IUPUI eighty one seventy five. Godfrey and Billups get. Um, Big night, 26 and 22 points each. Godfrey had 22 leading the way, as well as Billups with 26. It was a, uh, I got a chance to watch some of it here and there, switching around, because, you know, you get yeah. that ESPN Plus, and I got the app so I can switch it here and there. And they were, uh, they looked good last night. Now, IUPUI is not great, but it's a win. And now they go on the road to Cleveland State, which will be right here on uh, 1380 Fan. Now, that will be stream only tomorrow against Cleveland State. Yeah. 645, Brett Rump will have all the action there from Cleveland on 1380thefan.com. Go there, and you'll have a directional link to tap on to listen to that game and uh, Cleveland State and Purdue-Fort Wayne tomorrow night. And I'm sure Mr. Rump is on his way. Yep, should be uh, on the bus. getting on the bus right now or already <laughs> on the way to Cleveland. Oh, I do not miss those bus rides, boy, <laughs> I tell you. You know, the best thing about the buses of today versus the buses of yesterday, I should say, buses of today at least have, you know, movie monitors, things of that nature. Sure. Or you got your iPad where you can do whatever you want. Back in the day when I was playing and then <laughs> coaching for a little bit, yeah. Uh, Back in the 80s and early 90s, man, it was the Walkman. Ooh. There's a big note for you. Yeah, Ooh. Now, are we talking a, a Walkman 8-track player, or are we talking a Walkman radio? Well, Walkman radio with the cassettes. Oh, okay, with the cassettes. Yeah, okay. So we had to have those big cassette uh, sleeves, sleeves type, yeah. and stuff that you brought to listen to your music because there was no other entertainment. So you either slept or listened to, your, to uh, soundtracks or... If you were lucky enough to get a good enough signal, maybe you listened to a couple of the games coming back from wherever you were sure. coming from. But those days I do not miss. I can say that full-heartedly uh, in that regard. Big weekend for the NFL with the AFC-NFC championship game. You got San Francisco at Philadelphia. Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurts. Pretty good matchup there. Yeah. Brock Purdy has shown that... He was ready for the test, and he's done nothing but uh, perform well for the 49ers. Jalen Hurts, of course, what can you say about him? He's been a catalyst for Philadelphia and their offense because of what he brings to the table mobility-wise. Be a big test for the San Fran defense, and of course, what can, you know, Philly's, Philly's defense as well. So that one's going to be a good game. Now, interesting there, Eagles are a two-and-a-half-point favorite over under 46 and a half. So again, that that could be a really good ball game. I don't know if they're having as the weather that we have had. But as I from what I heard earlier, it should be a pretty good day in in Philly, but that's going to be a dandy and then followed up that night 6:30. Bengals at the Chiefs. 6:30 kickoff. 
Bengals are now a one-point favorite with an over-under of 47 and a half. And uh, let's see, that game's on CBS. The first game is on Fox, I believe. But, um, you know, what can you say about the Bengals? They go into Buffalo, and, um, I mean, they take the Bills right out of the game uh, after the first drive. I mean, from that moment forward, it was – a pretty darn good offensive display and some pretty rough conditions up there in uh, Buffalo um, during that game. And, you know, uh, Bengals defense playing well, going now to go take on the Chiefs. And everybody, you know, I've heard Joe Burrow say this week that the Chiefs are still the team to beat, not the Bengals because of the Chiefs and where they've been. Of course, you don't know where Mahomes is going to be health-wise. And if if the uh, Kansas City Chiefs defense, I think they better play a lot of pressure on the outside defensively because if they line up in a shell and give the Bengals either time to find running running game or Joe Burrow's a way to basically pick pick apart uh, a two shell, then it's going to be a long day potentially for the Chiefs. But that game, I guess. Uh, really comes down to is Mahomes healthy enough that he can at least be effective in the passing game. Now, he's not going to be able to do his magical stuff out of the pocket, which is, I guess you could say, his forte. But can their running game pick up some of that load and off of him and let him be, you know, a guy that can stand back there, get the ball away quick and let guys in space do their thing? But I think we got two really good ball games for both the AFC and FC. I mean, I, I, I think it's, I mean, you could flip a coin between both those teams. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to both games. I think uh, I think we're going to be in for some treats. Yeah, well, and, you know, Brock Purdy, I guess he's the story of the playoffs because what he's done of late. And then, uh, of course, Bengals doing their thing uh, that they did last year, a big rematch of that game. So interesting to see that. And then, you know, a couple things I saw coming before this week come up on the and the recruiting thing was uh, Mylon Graham, the New Haven Bulldog wide receiver, picked up another SEC w- offer from Georgia. So he's got two now because I think Alabama as well. And Grant Leeper, how about a kid? First come out for football this year. He has numerous offers in the power of Power 5 Big Ten schools. So there you, there you go. There's opportunities in the game of college football to get scholarships, and we've got a few in our area that are starting to – Answer the phone calls for scholarships. But how about you give us some headlines from the sports world today, Adam? All right, let's do it. Let's get into uh, today's top headlines real quick here. All right, Frank Reich, the starting quarterback for the first game in Carolina Panthers history in 1995, is now the team's sixth head coach. Owner David Tepper chose Reich 61 after an extensive search that included nine candidates, including their interim head coach, Steve Wilkes, ultimately going with a former Colts head coach, Frank Reich. The New York Jets hired former Denver Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett on Thursday, a move that adds to the already intense speculation about a potential Aaron Rodgers trade. 
Kansas City Chiefs quarterback spoke today about his high ankle sprain and how he feels in practice as they prepare for the AFC Championship against the Cincinnati Bengals. Mahomes said, I thought I had a good day yesterday. Overall, probably better than I expected being able to go out there and throw the football and get in the work I needed to get in. And it'll be a truly big Big Ten matchup tonight as 7'4 seven four, seven four Zach Eady and the number one Purdue Boilermakers travel to Ann Arbor to take on 7'1 Hunter Dickinson and the Michigan Wolverines. Conference play. Big Ten action. Tip is at nine. Those are your top headlines, Shannon. Yeah, it's going to be an awesome game tonight. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But we need to step aside and get our first break in here. And after the break, we'll have Justin Cohn on from the Journal-Gazette. All right here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Thursday edition of the Sports Rush here on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Comets on the road with three big games set for Iowa with Iowa this week, Friday through Saturday. Plus, they've had some recent roster moves before they go out there, and there's no one better that can give us big, the big updates on the Comets than the one and only Justin Cohn, who's joining us now on the Master Heating and Cooling Hotline. Justin, how you doing, bud? Good. How you doing, Chad? Good. Uh, you're back feeling better, I hope? Yeah, I'm not 100%, uh, but uh, doing a lot better. I was in uh, health and safety protocols for a couple weeks and well, had a rough go with COVID, but back at it. Well, I'm glad that you're feeling better. I know that thing can be a little bit uh, worrisome at times because it's no fun. But, you know, right before I uh, had you on here, I was talking a little bit about Bruce Boudreaux's firing. What What was your thoughts on that before we jump into some of the Comet stuff? Well, you know, I think uh, a couple things, you know, not that this is shedding new territory, but, you know, they just, uh, the Canucks didn't didn't manage it right. You know, they had every opportunity to change the narrative in any number of ways by either announcing we're going to keep him or we're going to fire him or we're going to make a change. But to just dangle anybody, you know, I think people are really caught on the fact that it's Bruce Boudreau, but really anybody in that position to just kind of leave them in this lame duck situation mm-hmm. where they have to answer questions about their future when they really don't know what's going on. I mean, so there's that, but then the overriding thing is the Canucks are just a mess. I mean, right. if your entire fan base is recognizing that it's not the coach's fault and audibly giving him support game after game, I think you need to sit there and wonder maybe he is the right guy for the job because, <laughs> you know, he, he, he wasn't the problem. But all that being said, I, I think most people believed it was, going to be a short-term situation for him and then they were going to probably find somebody else but yeah i don't understand it and i don't see how rick pocket is the answer but well, the overriding right. thing is i just don't think he they treated him quite right there all right and uh i gave my thoughts on that earlier so we won't beat a dead horse there but comet's now heading out to iowa for a big three game uh series with the heartlanders but prior to that ball uh that game coming up uh, they've made a little bit some roster moves here of late. Yeah, I mean, their roster's always in flux, but, uh, you know, the big things are uh, they got Graham McPhee, who's uh, been with the Bakersfield Condors, and interesting note is he's the son of George McPhee, who's the uh, uh, vice president, excuse me, the president of hockey operations for the Vegas Golden Knights. So he's a, <laughs> he's a decent prospect, and then they're getting uh, Darian Kelb from uh, Bakersfield as well. 
and then they made a trade. Uh, Bakersfield did, so Philip Angeris is now gone, and a player named Garrett Van Wee is, is now with them, and he was a former Michigan player. So the long and the short of it is you've now suddenly got three new players coming from the AHL, and then some other moves they've released um, – Mackenzie Dwyer and Carson Vance and Max Molossek, so some changes there. But on paper, the roster looks a lot stronger now because you've got all these AHL guys who have arrived. And, and really the guy that probably hasn't been talked enough, enough about, uh, uh, talked about enough from that is Darian Kelb because he's, you know, a strong offensive defenseman, a guy that we've seen play here before and is going to be able to do some really exciting things. And that's kind of what they need, somebody to take the pressure off guys like Blake Steven Ayler and mm-hmm. Angel Maggio and really add some, um, you know, good offense from the back end. And, and so I think that's going to be a, a positive thing for them. Well, he'll be a good compliment to Brubaker and his offensive talents. But uh, I remember of Darren was he was a more like to rush it up the ice as a more offensive minded defenseman. And like you said, that's kind of what they lost with Peters when he got recalled back to uh, Bakersfield. So, a little bit more help on the blue line. I know they're still struggling with the injuries because they don't really know who's going to come back or when. Uh, you know, with uh, uh, Bowdens and Graves. I mean, the list just seems like it grows rather than shrinks. But this will be a big test for them heading out uh, out west there to Iowa. You know, you had an article the other day. You kind of looked at the four key, basically, uh, points for the Comets. Uh from uh, unpredictable to playoff team, you kind of want to summarize some of that, or kind of what you you know, kind of what you looked at when you kind of sure. gave your breakdown. Yeah, I mean, you know, the big thing with this team has been consistency. I mean, it, it's reminding me, and I've said this, you know, for two months now. It's it's a lot like that 2018 2019 season, which was Gary Graham's last season, where you know, just on paper, a ton of talent but a lot of inconsistency and continuing to make the same mistakes. So, you know, the, the things I've really focused on are, you know, I think they need to be a little more mentally focused. And what I mean there is, you know, they can't come out not ready to play as soon as that first drop of the puck is. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they have been got, they have, the first periods have been their worst. They've been outscored 46 to 33 in the first period of the season. Um, they're really one of the worst teams in the league when it comes to the first period. And obviously you're putting yourself at a disadvantage and having to, to catch up and, and have some problems in that respect. You know, I think they need to have a little bit more of a killer instinct. What I'm talking about there is things that we saw last week. Um, if you've got a power play last five, 10 minutes of the third period, you know, you need to score. You right. at least need to get some really quality opportunities. And, you know, they were spending a lot of time in those late power plays you know, failing to establish the zone. And a lot of that is just kind of opposing your will on opposing teams. And, you know, they need to play a little bit more physically, um, but also stay out of the box. You know, that's been a big thing. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to say, go play physically, but doing it without winding up in the penalty box, there's a bit of an art there. So, you know, really the other two things I talked about was just kind of simplifying the game. Mm-hmm. It's funny, right before you called, uh, I had gotten this message that from a fan who was like, I'm sick of them playing the dump and chase. And I haven't responded yet, but that's what they need to do more of. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a big dump and chase guy, but that's when they're at their best is when they're forechecking, they're grinding away in the corners, they're trying to set some things up up high. And all of that starts by establishing the zone, by getting the puck deep, 
when they get into trouble, in my opinion, it's when they start doing these 100-foot passes, these dipsy doodles through the neutral zone, trying to do the fancy play. So they need to simplify and really do the things that they're good at. And the last thing is, and it may have already happened, is, is bolster the lineup a little bit. You know, right. I, I, They were a little bit short on defense coming into this week. Maybe Darian Kelp solves that. I felt like they needed another power forward. We'll see whether the new guys, McPhee, Van Why, maybe they answer that equation. But, you mm-hmm. know, I had been thinking earlier in the week, you know, they're still a player or two away, but maybe it gets solved by, you know, the AHL affiliation. And hopefully we've seen that happen in the last couple of days. There. Well, right. And, you know, going back to your, you know, uh, the dump and chase mentality, I, I think you're dead on on that one because uh, that forces them to make those grinding plays. And that's one way of forcing a little bit more physicality uh, when you dump it and chase it into the corners and such. But, you know, uh, their last game against Indy, the one thing that I know noticed the fuel did a very good job of who are, you know, we'll talk a little bit about them. But on when they're on the PK, Indy had all four of their players on the blue line. They were not letting they were not going to let the Comets carry the puck into the zone. And the right. comments yeah. had so many times, like you said, they were trying to make these cross ice passes to try to catch them off guard, and it never materialized enough. And all of a sudden, now they're clearing the puck. They're, you know, I think they had a couple chances for shorthanded goals in that time period. But it's like they struggle at times reading the reading the play in front of them. Is that? I mean, does that make sense to what I'm trying? Yeah, to- yeah. I, you know, I think that's fair. I mean, I think when we're talking dump and chase. Uh, the power play can be a, a bit of a different animal. You know, mm-hmm. like, theoretically, there should always be an open area for you to establish the opposing zone. But, you know, that's easier said than done. You know, the power play is a lot about cohesiveness and everybody being on the same page. And with this team, you know, they've had a different lineup every week, different guys on the power play. Sometimes it's five forward. Sometimes you got Daniel Maggio running the, the, the point. So I do sort of get it with the power play. But you're absolutely right. Just simplify, you know. And and again, I, I'm not a dump and chase guy. Mm-hmm. But this this isn't the NHL, you know. You don't always have the guys. You don't always have Dylan Larkin, who has the ability to take the puck at one end, skate through four guys, establish the zone, and then wait for help. At this level, sometimes you do just need to make the simple play. That's why these guys are at the ECHL level, right? Right. So you know, there's some guys that I feel comfortable, you know, just give them the puck and let them go. Josh Winquist sometimes, Ty Falaber sometimes. You know, it used to be how we felt about Colin Chalk, right? Like mm-hmm. when there were when they were in trouble, it was like just give the puck to Chalk, he'll figure it out and get it up there, and then you can establish something. But right now, the comments don't always have that, and they don't always have that guy. And sometimes you just need to make the simple play and grind away and look for those ugly goals. And like you said, when you're playing Indy, when you're playing Toledo, those are teams that you need to get them on their heels. And that's how you do it. You just wear them down in their own zone. You play physically, you use your big bodies, and then you wait for the right moment. But if you're looking for all these panache, highlight reel, sports center plays, not going to pull that off too often at this level. What you are going to do is you're going to turn the puck over and you're going to put the onus on your goal center. And I see that so often with this season's Fort Wayne team. And that's what, in my opinion at least, they need to get away from. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Well, heading into Iowa for Big Three, these are three games that they definitely need, in my opinion, to get maybe a sweep out in Iowa. Iowa's only seven and twenty, but you can't let the the Cyclones and Walleye get away from you because they're twelve and uh, nine points differential on you on the season. So, some big games coming up for the Comets to make up some ground. But I really appreciate you coming on today, Justin, and we'll catch you at another time. All right. Thanks, Jan. All right. That's Justin Cohn from the Journal-Gazette Comets Beat Writer. We're going to step away here on 1380 The Fan 100.9 FM. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Sports Rush here on 1380 The Fan 100.9 FM. Let's talk a little bit Indiana Pacers. And to do that, we want to welcome in on the Masters and Heating Cooling Hotline, Scott Agnes from the FieldhouseFiles.com. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, I appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. And, you know, I think the first thing I wanted to kind of reflect back on is the Pacers' big win against the Bulls the other night that kind of stopped the uh, their losing streak. Kind of give some feel uh, from your perspective on that win against the Bulls. Yeah, how badly did they need that, right? Oh, yeah. It was a game where they fell behind early and you feel like they didn't really have it. You know, in the second half, you would understand if, you know, you just play reserves and don't even make the comeback. But the trouble this season all years, Shannon, has just been the fact they keep falling behind big early. Last mm-hmm. night, you know, Trail gave up 46 points in the first quarter. The Chicago game you're referencing fell behind by uh, 21 points. Yeah. And it took, you know, T.J. McConnell playing nearly the whole game. And then Ben Matherin scoring 15 points in that fourth quarter, the rookie stepping up and having a big quarter, and then some defensive things, too, as well, uh, that really stood out for them to, to squeak by and, and get that win, which is their only win here over the last two weeks. Well, and I referenced that uh, Chicago game early on, and I kind of watched it from um, Chicago's sports uh, sh- uh, show up there that carries the games, NBC Sports, and, and their post-game show. Uh, Will Purdue was, I guess, but they were beside themselves on how they lost to the Pacers because it really came down to turnovers. I mean, the Bulls turned it over, I think, something like 19 times in that game, and that allowed the Pacers to really get back in it. But what I liked about from the Pacers in that game, and you see, you know, glimpses of this in some of their games, as uh, you know, their grittiness. You know, the, and I know it's at times hard to bring it every night, but. I thought in that second half they were gritty enough to to, to to basically win that game, not that Chicago lost it. I honestly am a little bit split on that. I, okay. I think it goes both ways because Chicago is on the second night of a back-to-back. The turnovers mounted. Um, they didn't really adapt to the way the Pacers played, I thought, in the fourth quarter especially. So, um, while, yeah, while it was admirable of the Pacers, I thought it was as much as an indictment on the Bulls and being on a back-to-back, which is never easy, but – just kind of running out of gas, maybe taking it lightly that they had a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter. And uh, Pacers mm-hmm. stayed on it, stayed on the gas, never quit. And So that was the one highlight of yeah. the last couple of weeks for sure. The yeah. rest hadn't been as pretty without <laughs> Well, you know, you talked last night. Heald had 21, and then uh, Miles Turner had a big game. He had 22, but he had, I believe, a 20-20 game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that was a pretty impressive of those two uh, last night, but it's kind of the same thing. They're coming off and uh, back-to-back uh, nights uh, playing. 
Yeah, for the Pacers, yeah. they were they were in that spot. Now they did get to go down to sunny and and warm Orlando, or <laughs> yeah. eighty five, and you know, play or staff members are running before the game and going outside, soaking <laughs> in the rays, which had to be fantastic. But that was a case, man, where they gave up in the first quarter forty six points right. more than any other quarter more than any other opponent this season. Now, we've seen other teams do that. Orlando dropped 50. I think it was on Milwaukee. These things happen. But the Pacers have just been troubling to start games, losing, I think, nine of the last ten mm-hmm. first quarters. Yeah. So that's where, it's, that's where a turnaround, in my eye, begins because you've seen them have some stamina to stay in games. But it takes so much energy to come back right. 15 points, 20 points, and sometimes they do. Now, last night, they never led. They got within four late. Mm-hmm. They didn't quite have enough to overcome that, and that's the challenge. It, it takes so much effort to come back in those games, and Orlando has a lot of talent. They just haven't put it all together completely. But you see them coming off an off day yep. at home, Jonathan Isaac back in the lineup, giving them a little juice, and they played well. Yeah, and you're right about the uh, back-to-backs and, you know, a team that comes off a, a, a night off, it that does make a difference. And when you get behind like that, uh, trying to make, play catch-up ball is very, very difficult no matter what the team's record is because those things, when you get out to that type of lead, it's just very hard to really cut into it and really get to the point where you can overcome it. Now, any uh, updates on Halliburton and where he may be? Yeah, so Tyrese hadn't played in a couple weeks, obviously. Pacers dearly missing him. Um, his knee, so he had two injuries both in that New York game. It was first that knee injury with his left, the bone bruise. That seems to be okay. He's running. He, he's taking part in some team drills. Not all, not taking contact just yet. Um, but it, the holdup right now for him to be back in the lineup is his, el- his left elbow, which is not his shooting arm. Mm-hmm. So he's been able to get shots up, still looking good shooting the ball incredibly well, in fact. A couple days ago in practice, he made 23 of 25. But my concern, you know, with that left arm, that off ball, think about it. He's a point guard. He has the ball in his hands a lot. Sometimes he's passing one-handed. So he's got to have the strength. He's, he's got to have uh, the force with that left hand. And it's got to be a little bit pain-free, too. So there's not a rush to get him back. But obviously the team, you know, badly needs him out there. Uh, I think he'll be out for about another week. And in his mind, he's hopeful to be back next Friday where they'll play Sacramento, maybe that Thursday against the Lakers. But I'd be stunned if he played this weekend. I think they're really shooting for at earliest next week, depending on how he feels. Right. Now, McConnell has really kind of stepped up in his abstinence last night, played 33 minutes. He had 17 points. Uh, didn't had, miss a shot. Didn't eight miss it. Eight. Yeah. How about that? Eight, to eight for wow. eight. Uh, eight assists and only four turnovers. So, you know, he has played – pretty admirable in his Halliburton's absence because I don't think he's only been held to single digits, I think, one time since he's come in and kind of provided that uh, filling space for the Pacers. So him, that's kind of been a bright spot to see as well. Yeah, I mean, TJ is a consummate pro. The trouble or concern I guess I have is how many minutes are you playing him here? Because yeah. if you're pushing 41 like they did against Chicago – well, I think you saw some of that hurt him the next game in Orlando. A little bit gassed. They tried to sneak him some more rest. And, and the other big thing with TJ is, is what makes him special is doing all the hard play situations, the stealing the inbounds pass, pressuring full court, being a pest. And it's a little harder to do that when you got less fuel in the tank, when you played 41 minutes 
you know, the previous night. So he, he's been admirable in the way he stepped up. And, and the, the main thing for him that I like to talk about with him is his shooting. That's the big difference in, in what we're seeing um, new from him recently. Right. Like, you know, he was making 20% of three-pointers and really didn't attempt many until a month ago. And now he's shooting better than, I think, like 43%. I think he's made something like seven of his last nine. Like, for TJ, who's never been a great three-point shooter, that's that's what I've been most impressed with. We know he can handle a team. He can handle the ball. Really good at pushing the pace and distributing. But his shooting, that's a new element. And to your point, we've seen the results of that. It being in double figures eight of the last nine games. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> why last night hurts a little bit, you know, here comes the Milwaukee Bucks in, in uh into town tomorrow night they're 31 and 17 and then they head to utah sunday for who take on uh, the jazz who are also 31 and 17 right now so you know that game last night they you know in some respects really needed it now they play two of the toughest teams in the nba right now well it's memphis on sunday but i'm sorry memphis that's right points even more so because memphis is a better team than utah so that's the situation. You're right. It's tough, and I think we'll all be watching to see, you know, will, will Giannis play? Will Chris Middleton be available? Mm-hmm. Neither one of those two played up in Milwaukee when the teams met here recently, and the Bucks still won and still handled them. Right. Um, so those, those aren't easy games here to close out this weekend over the next, what, three days. They play, have two games, one at home, one on the road, and these are, the, these are good measuring stick games. Like, the other thing in all this, to be clear, is you got to reset your expectations. Yes, they were on a run. Yes, they got up to sixth or seventh in the East. But this season is not about you know winning a playoff series. It's not even getting to the playoffs, um, which seem unlikely. The, the season here is about growth, development. It's seeing what you have, putting pieces around Tyrese Halliburton that makes right. everyone flourish. So it's not necessarily about the wins and the losses, but... You, you hate to see some of the losses like we've seen in the last week previously, not last night, but you know where they're losing by 20 and just don't even show up. Those are the red flags. Right, Losing in Orlando, back-to-back, shorthanded, you kind of get that. Right, right. Well, Scott, I appreciate you jumping on here, talking a little about the Pacers, and uh, like to have you get, get back on here once again sometime. But thanks so much for joining us here on the Sports Rush. All right, very good. Thanks for having me. All right, Scott. Scott Agnes from Agnes from the FieldhouseFiles.com and talking a little bit about the Pacers. We're going to step away, pay some bills here. This is the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan 100.9 FM. The Sports Rush here on 1380 The Fan 100.9 FM. Quick trivia answer for you on the first goal that... Uh, Bruce Boudreaux scored against the goalie that was in net was none other than Jimmy Rutherford, the gentleman that basically hang him out to dry. Make it, you know, I'm not sure what that all means, but it was kind of an interesting subject when you thought taking how they t- treated him and that guy that was doing the treatment. But anyway, before we second half, we're going to jump into IU a little bit. What was uh, your guys' or Rumpy's uh, prediction last night? Yeah, so he was actually, uh, yeah, let's hear that. I think we have the recording of the uh, prediction. Yep. I'll throw out my number 6152. So, wait a minute. Yeah? I think something's wrong with your audio board because that's not how I actually remembered it. Did he slip in something before he uh, left? Is oh, he cheating you, you know again? what? I think he might have slipped in that file there. I, I think we have the actual. Yeah, let's, let, let's see if we have his real prediction from last night. Let's, Not a big offensive team, 
other than battle shooting threes, there's not much with this Minnesota offense. I kind of feel like Indiana should win this game by 16, 17 points. Oh, yeah. I'll say uh, 67, 52. And I know that's 15 points, but I'll say, I'll throw out my number, 67-52. Adam? Give me 74 to 61. Yeah, I think I think Mr. Rump got into the audio files before he jumped on that bus trip, knowing that he would not be here to quote-unquote defend himself, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, the man, the man, the man, the man. What can I do? What what do we want to do with him? I don't, I don't know. know. Tar, tar and feathering when he gets back. Yeah, something I don't like know. That. Well, hey, we had a good first hour thanks to Justin Cohn from the Journal Gazette and Scott Agnes from the fieldhousefiles.com. We're going to be back here for the second hour of the Sports Rush on 1380 the Fan 100.9 FM.